You're listening to a podcast from Grace Church in Salado, Texas. For more information and resources just like this, visit us online at gracesalado.com. Good morning, guys. Today's scripture reading is from Matthew 4, 1 through 11. and can be found on page 855 of the Bible at your seat. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Dusty and JJ. I'm excited about what God might want to do in this next series in our church, in this series in our families, in our life. It's important for us. And the reason why I say that is because leadership is important. Um, It's important that we have leaders. Leadership is important because leadership means there are followers. And where there are followers, how the followers live and how the followers act and how the followers behave affects the culture, it affects the community, it affects the world. If there are no followers, there's a pretty good chance there's no leader. If you think you are a leader and you're leading and you look behind you and no one's following you, then I have news for you. You're probably not a leader. As someone in a leadership position, I know what it means to lead well, and I know what it means to lead poorly. I have done both, and I have done both this month. I know the cost of poor leadership. I know the cost and the great gains of good leadership. I don't know, and I prayed about this earlier with you, I don't know if you have been forced in your life to submit to a poor leader, a bad leader isn't just somebody with lack of integrity. It's not just somebody that's hypocritical. A bad leader is someone who maybe A, isn't willing to do the very things that he's leading his followers to do. A bad leader also is possibly someone who doesn't make quite clear what he expects his followers to do. I've done both of those. I've been poor in both of those. I've done well in both of those. But that's what leadership 
and good leadership is. It's, it's doing the very things that you're asking your followers to do, and it's making it clear from the outset, here's where we're going. Here's what's required of you. And several weeks ago, as we wrapped up the Advent series that we called Behold the King, I preached a sermon entitled, A King Worth Following. You may not remember that. That's okay. I had to go back and remember what the title was also. Today we start a new series that we've entitled, Follow the King. And as we walk through verse by verse, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5-7. through 7. I don't know how long it's going to take. You can ask me, but I'm going to tell you, I don't know how long it's going to take. I know we're going to get through all three chapters. But before we hear Him preach to us, before we hear Him tell us what He expects of us, it is important for us to determine whether we even want to follow him or not. Whether we really want to hear from this king, hear from this man. And I want us to be sure, moving forward, that as we go forward, that you have the opportunity today and throughout this week and even next week to say, yes, I want to follow him. In fact, I want to even encourage you to compare this leader, Jesus, to any other leader that you've ever had. Whether you love those leaders or didn't like those leaders, bring that history to Christ and watch and learn and then ask the question, do I really want to follow him? Do I really want to follow this king? So let's set the story up and get into this text. At this point in the life, at the end of Matthew chapter 3, we read that Jesus had just been baptized by John the Baptist. This is a big moment. It's so big that what is highlighted here is the unity and the fellowship of the Holy Trinity. God the Father is well pleased. God the Son is the one doing the act and obeying the Father. And God the Spirit is present there giving peace and this blessing. Nothing was wrong. This is a big event. This is a pleasant event. Nothing is wrong. The relationship with the Father is good. Then the king begins to lead by being the example that we need our king to be. And he shows us how to live and how to follow. So what we're going to look at are five ways or five things that follow of what it what it means to follow the king. What is required of us? What it's going to mean if we're following this leader. Then this what it this is what it might look like. And we see it in the example of the leader, of Jesus. So, number one, following this king will mean we follow the Holy Spirit. Wait a minute. So, Jason, you're telling me that if to follow Jesus, I need to follow in the Holy Spirit? Really, it's a submission to the Holy Spirit. It's a listening to the Holy Spirit. Many people say that leadership is about influence. But just as Good leaders are good influencers. Good leaders are also leadable. To be a good leader, you must be a learner. You must be able to follow. You must also, and Jesus demonstrates this in verse 1. It says, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit. 
here at this moment where John the Baptist and all of his followers had just had this amazing moment where Jesus was baptized. Jesus decisively follows the Spirit of God over any other influence. Baptisms are dramatic. They can be emotional. The way we do baptisms here is we want to come and we want to video record, video We want to record your story. We want to put it up on the screen. We want you to have it with you when you move on from this life so that you can always go back and remember when you're tempted. You can remember your moment you were baptized. Usually your family comes. We tell you, invite your friends, invite your lost friends, invite your family to come. On Baptism Sunday, we can have like double the attendance just for all the people watching and beholding. That is not unusual or or different than what Jesus is experiencing. Everybody who's kind of with Jesus at the moment you know was there and everybody that was with John the Baptist was there and there's this holy moment and then immediately with all the family around with all the moment of let's have a big meal with all the the let's post all this on social media let's get involved with self-promotion let's really highlight how great this moment is Jesus listens to the spirit and instead follows the spirit away from the crowd and into the wilderness. Jesus follows the Holy Spirit away from all the selfies, away from the fame. He follows the Spirit. This is what this king does. This is what this leader is doing. Let me ask you this morning, who or what is the greatest influence in your life? Who has been the greatest influencer in your life? What has been the greatest influencer in your life? You're saying, Jason, I don't understand the question. Well, what speaks the loudest to you that causes you to act a certain way? Following Jesus means we seek the Holy Spirit to the point that we will follow and do whatever the Holy Spirit guides us to do. We have a saying here that structure submits to spirit. Always. We have to help one another practice that because we love structure, don't we? We love to start right on time. We love to end right on time. We love to make sure that passageways to the children are great. We love the structure. We need structure. We depend on structure. But do we depend on structure more than we depend on the influence of the Holy Spirit? We must follow the Holy Spirit. We can ask this question honestly this morning, even right now. Holy Spirit, will you lead me today? Do you ever ask that when you wake in the morning? Or do you say, holy coffee, be what I need you to be? We may not say that, but we sure pursue that sometimes. I would say as you're getting that coffee, as you're brushing your teeth with all those things you do every morning, whatever it is, in that moment, remember in that moment just to say, Holy Spirit, lead me today. Speak to me today. To follow Jesus means we will follow the Holy Spirit, even if it means we follow him into the valley of suffering. That's the second thing that followers of Jesus will do. We will follow into the valley of suffering. Following Jesus does not mean that everything will be made easy. 
that everything will be smooth from here on out, making a decision to say, yes, I will be with Christ. He owns everything. I will follow him. So therefore, everything is going to be easy. That does not define the Christian life. It most definitely does not mean that you will have or we will have our best life right now. No, following Jesus means there will be times the Spirit leads us straight into trials and temptations. This is hard for us to understand. Look at verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit. We talked about that. It's very clear that Jesus is following the Spirit. Jesus is baptized. He's at the high mountaintop experience, and he's led by the Spirit where? Into the wilderness to do what? To be tempted by the devil. In all honesty, this really disrupts my American, I'm a conqueror, I've joined the right team, kind of, I've arrived mentality. My worldview is shaken when I see this. To me, it almost reads like a handoff. Come with me, Christian. Well done, you've been baptized. Now I'm going to hand you over here into the wilderness for a season that's going to be really hard. Jesus, in verse 1 here, it already wrecks our view of American Christianity because it says Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, away from the masses, away from fame, away from popularity, away from bestseller books to be written. Jesus is led into the wilderness not to have a party, but to be tempted by the devil. There was a time in my life that my dad got me this job. It was the end of my junior year in high school. And uh, before this point, I had the great, awesome job of being a paper boy. Anybody have that? Okay, I was not the stereotypical paper boy. My parents helped me do most of that work. And, uh, and I didn't write. My route was so large I couldn't do it on the bike. That's at least what I told my parents a lot. And so before I could drive my own car, they drove me around and I threw the paper out. And, um, and I think partly because, uh, and then when I started driving, I started realizing I don't like spending all the gas on this. And, and for the summer, it's not really paying that well. And so I got a different job. My dad got me this job with a contact person he knew. And I worked for this place. And my job, as glorious as this may sound, it wasn't that glorious, um, you know the equipment that, that construction companies use to like clear land, like bulldozers and backhoes and all that kind of stuff? Well, my job, this is awesome, is when those equipment pieces came in, I got to clean those. Caked in mud. Uh, I got to pick out all the dirt, and I got to have the great privilege of picking out all the dirt, uh, the tracks, and doing all that, which took like an hour and a half just to do one vehicle. And then I had the glorious opportunity of not getting to drive it into the bin. Somebody else had to come drive it into the bin. And then I got to stand there with high-pressured, very, very hot water and spray it all as it all hits me in the face. And, but that wasn't the best, worst part of the job. The worst part of the job was the environment in which I was cast into. It was without a doubt the worst culture I've ever seen. And I went to a very public high school. My boss uh, had in his office as wallpaper, here's how creative he is, cut out centerfolds, 
of naked women on every wall. That was his wallpaper. I was the only professing, believing follower of Jesus there, so he thought it was really cool for him to have a daily briefing with me, a person that cleans tracks. Coming to my office, going, so we're going to have our daily briefing. Nobody else had that honor and privilege. And I would sit there, and he would just watch me squirm, as if my head would be down. And I would listen to him. I'd say, yes, sir, yes, I know, I know. And he'd just be laughing. Okay, see you tomorrow morning. And I would go out. Now, my dad had no idea that that was the environment that he thrust me into. I mean, what kind of dad would do that, right? I surely didn't want to be the whiny son that didn't want to work hard and go back to the paper route, so I fought through it. Here, Jesus is led into the wilderness by the Spirit to be tempted. This shatters our understanding, our mindset, that when we give ourselves to God the Father, that everything's going to be rosy, that everything's going to be perfect. And I think perhaps, maybe, I was got taken into that one job just to understand the clarity of how important it is that sometimes God the Father will send us into places that seem impossible for us. To follow Jesus means we will follow the Spirit into the valley of suffering. We see this all throughout Scripture. We see it with Job. We see it with Joseph. We see it all throughout that. Why is this happening to them? Why are they having to walk through this painful experience? If they're chosen, if they're God's elect, if they're God's children, why this? And though there is so much that we can study and look at as to why and how Jesus was being tempted here and how and why we are being tested in the valley, we don't have time to do all that today. Today, simply, I want us to grab hold of the very unpopular conviction that God is not after our temporary happiness, but he is after and securing for us our long-term eternal pleasure and joy, and happiness. That is not popular today. We're going to be looking at really tough topics in the sermon that Jesus preaches. We're going to be looking at topics such as lust and how to deal with that. Marriage, divorce, meekness, brokenness, revenge, retaliation, judging other people, loving our enemies, there is a way to deal with those topics in a way that the world accepts and is popular. And then there is a way that Jesus very clearly says, this is the way, walk in it. And we must see that the one preaching to us, Jesus, is the one saying, follow me, I'm willing to go to the wilderness with you. I'm willing to go to the places where there is unwanted valleys of testing and undifficult and difficult places. I'm willing to journey to the cross. Because we're going to hear things in these sermons that we don't like. Following Jesus is to submit to the Spirit. Following Jesus even means that we submit to the Spirit 
and go into the valley of suffering. But it also means that we continue to rely on God by relying on His Word. That's the third thing we see here. To follow Jesus means we rely on and live by God's Word. Three different occasions when the three different temptations come, Jesus quotes Scripture. He doesn't argue with reason. He doesn't show a video. He doesn't try to say, okay, let's be creative in how we get through this. He doesn't get a panel together and say, what should I do here? No, he relies on Scripture. This is Jesus. This is the Son of God. This is the King of kings. But yet, he's relying on the promises of God. In verse 4, after being tempted to cave in to the demands and the cravings of the flesh, Jesus relies on the word of God. I'm going to, he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. When Satan tempts him, he says, You're hungry. Change these stones to bread. And verse 3 of chapter 8 in Deuteronomy is where Jesus finds his response. He's quoting this section that says, And he humbled you and let you hunger. Did you hear that? He humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by the very, every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. That's what Jesus quotes is that last part. What he's referring to, and Satan knows, we'll get to that in a minute, is the storyline of God communicating to his people that you don't have to listen to your fleshly desires, that you can trust and know that God's words and promises are better and richer and fuller. This reminds me of a time in my life. We go hiking in Colorado every year. It's, it's fun most of the time. Um, uh, there are, there's this one hike in Rocky Mountain National Park. It's the biggest and the longest, most challenging hike. It's called uh, the hike uh, to Long's Peak. And Long's Peak is about 14,000 plus feet. And it's not a hike that I have ever done. Uh, my brother-in-law has done it, I think, a couple times. He keeps inviting my wife and my daughter to go, to which I want to fight my brother-in-law for this. Because... Long's Peak, you have to, the, everything has to be perfect. The, the scenario, the, the weather, the wind, there's a particular place that if the wind hits you at a certain point, you could just be swept off the mountain. That has happened many times on Long's Peak. And so my brother-in-law keeps inviting my precious women in my family to do this with him because he knows I'm not doing it with him. And, um, and I know you guys are like, well, goings, do it with them. And I'm like, well, that's not going to help them. Anyway, it was like, <laughs> one particular summer we were there, and a friend of mine named Porter came to be with us, stay with us, because he flew from Texas just to be there because his desire that year and his quest was to hike Long's Peak. And, and so he just stayed with us for the night. I think it was just the one night. And, and uh, he began the, you have to wake up like at 2 in the morning to arrive at the trailhead by 3 so that you can be off the mountain by 4. It's just the way it works there. And so, um, 4 p.m., sorry, that wasn't just an hour hike. It's a long hike. Anyway, so uh, Porter goes off to hike Long's Peak. Supposed to be back by 4. He should have been back at the cabin by 5.30, 6, 
what, 6.30, nothing, 7, nothing, 8, nothing. And what the rest of my family didn't know at the time um, was that Porter had told me that he was doing a fast, a 48-hour fast. And he was hiking on Thursday, and he started the fast on Wednesday, and he was going to end his hike on Thursday night after the long speak hike and then eat on Friday. And so the whole time I'm sitting there thinking, okay, i got to tell him at some point that Porter went up there a starving man to hike an impossible hike. And 8 o'clock, nothing, 9 o'clock, nothing. Finally, 11 o'clock, he shows in at the cabin, big old smile on his face. He's just a goofy-looking smile. And we're all mad because my family now hears that he fasted, he did, and he did this to us, right? Like, we're mad at him. Like, what are you, you're just foolish. What are you doing? And he said, well, here's what happened. He said, uh, on my way down, there's this couple that seemed like they didn't know what was going on, so I kind of helped them, and in helping them, I actually got off the path, and then I'm on the path. I went the wrong way for an hour and a half and had to backtrack. And what Porter told me, he said, it was beautiful because he said, my goal in doing this was I wanted to push my body to the limit so that I could test and see if my leader is telling me the truth. He said, so my goal was get to the top, and then on the way down, when I start to get hungry, when I start to get weak, I was just asking the Spirit, bring back to my memory every scripture that I've ever learned. And he said it was the most beautiful experience of his life. Man does not live by bread alone, but the Word of God brought him down from the mountain. Then Porter said, you going with me next year? I said, no way. I can memorize God's Word and do other things. Verse 4, we see Jesus, our leader, our king, after 40 days of being tempted, after 40 days of not eating, being tempted, and he gives him the word. In verse 7, we see the second temptation, that when he is tempted to misuse God's word for selfish advancement, Jesus relies on the truth of God's word. He quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6. Verses 16 and 17. He says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. This passage goes on to say, as you tested him at Massa, you shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his, his um, statutes, which he has commanded you. Jesus is saying that it has been said, don't use the scripture for selfish gain. Don't test the Lord with his own words. Just obey his words. He's relying on God's word. And then in verse 10, after being tempted to gain power and control and fame instead, he humbly fulfills God's word. And he quotes from Deuteronomy 6, verse 13, which says this. It is the Lord your God whom you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. Jesus models for us, after all these passages, he models for us the reminder that it is more important to obey and know the commands of the Lord than to misuse, than to twist, or to ignore the word of God. God gives us his promises. He gives his promises to his people promises to help us get where he wants us to go promises that provide us greater joy greater pleasures and he gives us these commands and these precepts to guard us to protect us and king jesus models this 
for us. Jesus models relying on God's word because just like Jesus, we will be tempted. Another thing that will happen if you're following Jesus, number four, is we will be tempted. We will be tempted. There are some very important things to point out in this text under the idea of what it means to be tempted. First of all, listen, it is not a sin to be tempted. Do you believe that? How often in my lifetime have I been discouraged when I agree because I'm dealing with temptation, thinking, man, I must be really messed up. Something's wrong with me because I'm just always being tempted. And then I realize, wait, wait, wait. My king was tempted. Jesus, after being baptized, there was nothing broken in him. There was nothing wrong with him. was led to be tempted. We will be tempted if we're following Jesus. Satan will try to trick us that just being tempted makes us horrible people. One of the reasons why we don't openly confess is because we think we're not even supposed to be tempted. If I shared what I'm being tempted with, then people are going to think I'm really weird. Well, guess what? You are weird. It's okay. You're weird if you're never tempted. We... As followers of this king will be tempted. And a king worth following is a king that models that for us. Have you ever had a leader that never like displayed any sort of weakness at all? You ever had somebody that says, oh yeah, I've always got it together, just follow me, here we go. Jesus is in this moment, is demonstrating the world that he too can be Weak. So the first thing we see here is that we will be tempted, but it also means that following Jesus, we must resist temptation. Jesus models for us that we will be tempted, but that we also must resist it. It is human to be tempted, but hear this, it is also human to give in to the temptation. And Jesus is providing for us another way. He's saying to follow me means you rely on God's word and you don't give in to the temptation, but I am providing a way to turn away from it. I'm showing my followers how to get out of it. I'm showing the people who will come after me, the people that are going to hear these hard sermons about how to overcome temptation and how not to go down this road. I'm showing them this is the way, walk in it, turn and go another way. We also notice when it comes to temptation here, we notice that Satan knows a lot of things. In the first temptation, we see that he knows that we are weak and where our needs and our cravings are. Look with me in verse 3. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. He knows he's hungry. The enemy knows where you are weak. He knows how to get at you. He knows where to come. He knows where to strike. For Jesus in the wilderness in the moment, he wanted to fast for 40 days. He says, okay, I'm going to attack his food cravings. The second temptation, we see that Satan also knows God's word. In verse 6, he actually quotes Scripture. 
We also see that Satan not only knows our needs and our craving, not only does he know God's word, but we see in the third temptation that he knows how to entice us and to awe us. In verse 8, we see, it says, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Boy, what a temptation that would be for us. And Satan knows how to wow you. He knows how to lure you in. That's how ever, you hear all those times those people say, I made a deal with the devil. What to, what? to gain this. He's enticed us. He tempts us. He knows what our needs are. He knows how to trick us with Scripture. And he knows how to entice us and awe us. And here's the fourth thing we can learn about what Satan knows in our temptations. He knows, Satan knows when the resistance is strong. I love this, verse 11. Then the devil left him. Verse 10, Jesus tells him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written. So he quotes the word, and you can see in verse 11, the devil is done. The resistance is too strong. See, when we resist the devil, he will flee. Well, Jason, that sounds creative. Where did you get that? Well, James chapter 4. Listen to this promise. This is one of those passages that in my teenage years has helped me. You're 48 and it still helps me. Verse 7, chapter 4, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Let me translate that or let me tie it in. Let me instead tie that in with this series. Follow Christ. Submit to the Spirit. Do the will of the Father. That's what it means. To submit yourself, therefore, to God and resist the devil. Listen to this really good news. He will flee from you. He will flee. If the resistance is strong, Satan knows, okay, can't get through here. Doesn't say he's going to go away forever, but in this moment, in the temptation, he will flee from you resist 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 this is what jesus is modeling for us to follow jesus is to follow the spirit wherever he leads to follow jesus is to know there will be valleys and trying times it's it is to commit and to embrace the words that are holy and truly helpful and life-preserving and it's to understand that there is an enemy who hates Jesus and who's coming after us. And lastly, to follow Jesus and follow the King means that we will receive help from the King's warrior servants. We will receive divine help. Verse 11, Then the devil left him, Behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Try to picture that. What a beautiful picture. The king of kings was led to the deserted wilderness. And there he models for us the importance of of leaning on the very words of God and resisting temptation. 
And in the process, the king is worn down. He is vulnerable. He is needy. And then, just at the right moment, the king's servant warriors come to serve, to help. I do not know, and we do not know exactly what the angels did to minister to him, but we can assume that he bought, or the angels brought and provided what he needed. I believe that these angels brought to Jesus the very things that Satan was tempting him to deny. I think they brought him the word of God to satisfy him. I think they reminded him who he was. I'm sure there was an element of worship as the angels approached Jesus. Oh yes, you are the king. You don't need to be taken to a mountain to be shown what Satan can give to you. You are the king. And I believe that the angels brought assurance that the kingdom of God is coming and will advance. I think when we are tempted and we resist the enemy and he flees, I believe that there's a, a, there's a help of angels that comes to my rescue and reminds me of the Word of God, that reminds me who I am. You are a child of the King. I feel like times there's, a, there's sort of this reminder, like you withstood, you by the grace of God overcame the temptation. And that fuels me when I've withstood the temptation by the grace of God and by the comfort and the support of divine help. One commenter says this, looking at the tempter and looking at the angel's support, he wrote, how much better is the ministry of angels than the deceptions of Satan. We see both for our leader, our king, Jesus. The deceptions of Satan attacking and then the ministry of angels supporting. So why is this so important for us to look at before we begin the series on the Sermon on the Mount? Well, we will be tempted to ignore the things that Jesus instructs his followers, things that are very clear we're going to be tempted to sort of give half of our attention to it, not apply all of it, misuse Scripture like Satan does. We will be tempted to take shortcuts on this less traveled road that we're on. We will be tempted to be overwhelmed by the valley and the hardships to the point that we want to give up and we want to quit. Maybe we lose hope. Jesus needed the angels to come and minister to him. He models this for us, and we do too. Last thing really hit me this week as we were studying, as I was looking through this, and I can't prove this. I don't know what the timeline of when Jesus says, be gone, and he resists, and Satan leaves, and the angels showed up, but I kind of have this picture and it's a reminder that Satan is one angel. He's one. He's a fallen angel. He's a fallen angel and he's nothing more than that. Now, he's very powerful. But he's a fallen angel. 
the king of all things commands him to go and the angels come and part of me thinks there's this image of of satan one angel tempting 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 and seeing down the road the angels coming i'm gonna go now i'm gonna take my leave i get chills thinking about that what's happening in the unseen world that we don't even know but i know in this picture the devil left him the angels came and ministered to him this is the story of the leader we need this is the story of a king that when he utters his words we need to listen to he's a good king He's a good example for us on how to resist temptation. He's a good example for us how to live the human life. And so he speaks in the next several chapters after this event, and it is something that we as a church should say, yes, yes, yes. I will follow the king. Do you want to follow this king? Have you come to the point, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, that you can say again with me in every song that we sing, in every prayer, every time I bow, I'm saying, God, I need you today. Give me words. Give me the word. Help it to be applied to me in my marriage, in my daughter's life, in my son's life, in my church's life. Show me, Jesus what I need to do to follow you. Have you prayed that? Because we're about to hear the answers to that for several weeks, Matthew 5 through 7. And there's going to be times where you're going to be like, how dare Jason say that? To which I'm going to say, I didn't say it. Our king says it. And he's here to help you through it. Not to throw stones at you, but to say, I've got an army of angels ready to help you through what I just commanded you do. Resist the devil. He'll flee. Let's go to the Lord now. Lord, I want to confess to you. I want to confess to you in front of all my brothers and sisters here, in front of the host of angels. I need you. And I still, I want you. I want to follow you. I want to hear every word that you say because I believe that everything you have done is for my eternal joy and pleasure.
So Lord, I'm asking that I not be the only one in this room for the next several weeks and months that will just come in every Sunday and just lay ourselves down and say, oh, God, teach us your ways. That we would say our families need it. Our community needs this. That God, you would equip us with the truth as we encounter the King of Kings. And that you would help us to follow you. And we pray all this for the fame of Christ. And surely in the name of Christ. Thank you.